was great to see as we continue to celebrate the baptisms we saw last Sunday across all the campuses. We're just still super pumped about that. And then today, you know, it's Mother's Day, so we're excited there. We have places for you to, to take a, a snapshot with you and your mom to get a picture. Baby dedication. I mean, God's people have always celebrated women and also celebrated motherhood. It's always been that way. As a matter of fact, 3,000 years ago, in Proverbs 31, a, a godly woman was described this way, that she was faithful in marriage, that she provided for her household. She bought real estate, helped the poor, taught wisdom and kindness. She was praised by her family. I mean, just amazing. And then also it said that she worked hard, was productive, was not idle. And that's significant because the last several weeks we've been in a series called Don't Waste Your Work. We've been talking about work. And here's what we've learned. We learned that God created us to work, that that's God's idea, that he wants us to work hard, that we should work at our job or whatever we're doing for work, whether around the house at our job, that we should work like we're working for God, that it's, it's an honor to him when we work hard. We're also told about our attitude, that we should never complain about our work, that we should be joyful in, in what we're doing, that we should work in a way that, we, that, that our hard work would cause other people to wonder what's going on, and eventually we'd be able to point them to our Savior. Just by having a good uh, testimony, you know, a good reputation when it comes to work. And so today we're going to switch it up. We've been talking about work for three weeks prior to this. And today, are you ready for more work? Okay, well, I have something better for you. Today we're talking about rest. How does that sound? All right, we're going to shift it up. We're going to talk about rest because when God talks about work, he also talks about rest. And I got to tell you, our culture, I don't think, rests very well. I, I believe what's happened is just with the changes in technology and the way we live our lives today, that we, are, we tend to be busy all the time. We've always got something going on. It's not necessarily work, and, and a lot of times it's not working hard for sure. But it's just things that have to be done. We're always busy. We never really stop and we never really rest. I believe what's happened to us is that we kind of work somewhat, usually not real hard, but we kind of work seven days a week and we never stop for one. But God's telling us something different. Work hard for six days a week, whether it's at work or what you need to do around your house. Work hard six days a week, but then rest one day. Work hard for six, not kinda, and then rest one. And I believe because we don't do that, it's increased anxiety and depression and stress and burnout. And, and some of that burnout is at work. So where are we getting all this? Well, right back to creation, God has given us this standard. We find it in Genesis 
chapter 2. Second chapter in the Bible. Here's what it says. And this is right after God created the heavens and the earth. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So this is really interesting in the aspect of, could God have created everything in one day? Yeah, but he didn't. He did it in six days. And then after six days of creation, is God just worn out? I mean, he's just like really exhausted and he can't do anymore. Is that, is that how God is? No. God is teaching us a pattern here through creation. Six days of work and then one day to stop and sort of rest and refocus and he creates this rhythm for rest. We work hard six days. We stop. We rest. We refocus on God. We stop counting minutes. We talked about that. And then here's, here's what happens next. Centuries after creation, which is all through what we call the patriarchs, Adam, you know, Isaac, Joseph, you know, all this stuff. Finally, after the, the people are down in Egypt, God sends a deliverer, Moses. Moses delivers them. And then he receives the law. And then the law has something a little different. It, it defines the Sabbath in a specific way. And here's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Notice the dignity here. He's saying nobody works. Not you, not, not anyone in your family, your wife, your kids, not your servants, not somebody that's staying with you as they're traveling through, not even your animals. Nobody works, is what he's saying. And there's two parts to this, of course. He starts by saying, hey, we should work for six days before he gets to that resting on the seventh. So that's the first part, working for six. We've been talking about that. But now the second part is that we should rest. And when we think about rest, I really want to break that down to four questions that we could ask about rest today. And here's the first one. What is rest? I know that's a weird question, but I mean, what is rest biblically? Because what happened in Exodus seems a little bit different maybe than what happened in Genesis. What is rest? And in Jesus's time, rest was the Sabbath. Actually, the word Sabbath means to rest or to cease talking about work. And the Israelites were to stop working and rest one day in seven to focus their attention on God. But here's what happened. Over the next 15 centuries from when Moses received the law, 1,500 years later when Jesus is on the scene, the religious leaders had piled up a bunch of rules on to this fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath and made it just extremely difficult. 
they, they just piled on a ton of restrictions with, about what you could and you couldn't do on Saturday. And these restrictions made the Sabbath, which is the seventh day Saturday, made it an overpowering burden to try to keep. As a matter of fact, uh, Jews have a, a commentary on the law called the Talmud. 24 chapters of the Talmud talks about how to keep the Sabbath, this one law, commandment number four, that we just read. And that came with a bunch of restrictions. Anything that might be contrived as work was forbidden. For example, scribes, their trade, you know, they, that they write for a living, they couldn't carry their pen with them on the Sabbath day. Tailors who sewed couldn't carry a needle on the Sabbath day. That was seen as like a temptation to work. Carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden. You know how, how heavy a dried fig is? I don't, but it can't be much. I mean, it's not much, right? It's like a feather, dried fig. And uh, other activities that were banned included all kinds of stuff. I mean, it could go on and on. Washing, shearing, tying a knot or untying a knot, planting, plowing, reaping, separating or selecting, binding, threshing, grinding flour, kneading dough, hunting a deer, preparing its meat. You know, all that stuff forbidden on the Sabbath day. For example, you can't burn anything on the Sabbath day. So, and, and by the way, these rules are still kept by Orthodox Jews today. So for example, on Saturday, can't strike a match. On Saturday, you can't turn on a light that has a filament that gets heated in order to glow to make light. You can't turn on a light switch because that's burning. By the way, you can't extinguish a fire either. It's all these restrictions are what Orthodox Jews keep today. You can't throw a toothpick into a fire. You can't put a fire out. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Now, Orthodox Jews today also observe kind of an interesting rule about the Sabbath is that you cannot travel more than a thousand yards from your home. So you can't go outside your home more than a thousand yards. Well, this, is, this makes life very, very difficult on one day a week. So rabbis through the years in Jesus' day and continues to today, they have come up with creative ways of getting around these Sabbath restrictions, these rules that other Jewish leaders made to pile on top of the original law. For example, one is this. If before the Sabbath on Friday you place some of your food a thousand yards away from your house, then on the Sabbath, you can go the thousand yards, get that food, eat some of it, and then by doing that, that's considered an extension of your house, and then you could go another thousand yards from there. That's crazy, right? As a matter of fact, the other thing they did is they got around it this way. If they put a plank across an alley, they would consider that like a barrier or a gate. And because of that, that would extend then what was across the alley as to be considered part of their home so they could start their thousand yards from that section of their neighborhood. Today, how many of you have ever heard of something called an Eruv, which is a wire that surrounds neighborhoods all over the world and in America 
that actually makes the entire neighborhood an extension of your home so you can move about freely and then go a thousand yards from that. Anybody ever hear of this? For example, in America, most of Manhattan has a thin wire around on the telephone poles, a thin wire that goes around that part of the city, and then that allows all the Jewish communities to consider that entire neighborhood for a few miles, that's all part, can, can be considered part of their home as far as Sabbath day restrictions, and so they can move about freely. As a matter of fact, as I was studying this out this week, I ran across a, a video which is just a, a local random newscast, but they're talking about an Aruv, and I want him to explain it to you. Isn't that amazing? You see what's happening? They, they've come up with these creative ways to get beyond the traditions that should have never been put on the law, but that were added to the law by Jewish people in years past. And so now, although they've, but they were doing this back in Jesus's time. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at a passage in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees because of this kind of thing. All these rules that they piled on to the Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2. Let's turn there and, uh, and we'll check this out. It says this in beginning in verse 23. And it happened that he, talking about Jesus, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So they confront Jesus. You get the picture? Now, back in ancient times in Palestine, there were some roads, but not a lot of roads. Most of the villages were just connected by a path. The paths went through fields. And it was actually allowable, according to the law, to sort of eat off the fields as you were walking. That was permissible in the law, even though somebody else owned the field. Now, what wasn't permissible is you couldn't bring a sickle along and start harvesting as you went. You couldn't do that. Or you couldn't start piling it into a bag so you can have it for later. But just for your own needs as you're traveling, that was permissible in Jewish law. And so they're doing that, but they're doing it on a Sabbath day. And so these Pharisees, are watching them, and then they're realizing, hey, and they're looking for a way to accuse him, and they say, look, your disciples are eating grain. Here's what they're doing. They're walking along, say it's wheat and it's ripened. They grab the top of the wheat, they pull it, strip it off of the stalk, you know, and then they rub it in their hands. That just leaves the kernels, and then they pop it in their mouth. It's, uh, you know, just raw wheat, and that's what they did for a snack because they were hungry. And so they're doing this, permissible, but because it's on a Sabbath, the Pharisees are saying, look what you're doing. You're harvesting. You're threshing. You're, you're breaking all these commands that we, by our tradition, has put on top of the biblical law. And so that sets up a confrontation that they have with Jesus. And so then here's Jesus' response to them, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This is very interesting. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here's the point. Going, the Sabbath law that came in Exodus 
was really an extension of God's general principle in Genesis 2 that we should rest. It was actually a gift from God to us that in 1 Dan 7, we should rest, a gift to mankind. Sabbath rules, though, were the heart of the Jewish religion. So the Jewish leaders, when they saw these things being violated in their minds, they reacted very strongly. We actually see that in Mark 3, a few verses later, Mark 3, verse 1, talking about Jesus again. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. He's got a physical problem. They were watching him to see, and this is, they're watching Jesus, they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. By the way, super hypocritical, right? The Sabbath is set aside to not work and for us to focus on God. So these Jewish people, they're sitting in the synagogue. They know Jesus is there. When they see Jesus going there, they go because they know a guy who needs healing is in the synagogue. So they go there. Basically, they're not worshiping God. They're spying on Jesus. And they're looking for a way to accuse him. That's, that's the whole purpose of what they're doing. And, uh, and so here's, the weird thing is, they're not even questioning Jesus' ability to heal the guy. They assume that. They're just going to see if he does it, and then they're going to say that he did something wrong because it was on the Sabbath. That's the picture here. So it goes this way. And he said to the man with the withered hand, and this is object lesson at church. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or, or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So, interesting things here. Notice, the man's not asking to be healed. Jesus initiates all of this, and he does it as an object lesson for the Pharisees. He's challenging their understanding of the fourth commandment. And, that's, and, and, they, and the weird thing about that is, you know, Jesus challenges him. He uses this guy as sort of an object lesson, which the guy's very thankful for. And then that's over. Then Jesus heals him. And then we see their reaction in the next verse, verse six. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiracy. I did this last service too. Conspiring. Conspiracy, by the way, is not a word, all right? Conspiring. The Pharisees went out and immediately be began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Crazy. Those who thought they were pious Sabbath day keepers were actually there on Sabbath day to spy on Jesus, see if he would do a good thing by healing this man, and then when he did it, they were there so they could accuse him that he's not doing something right on the Sabbath day, even though it's a good thing that he did. And then they immediately go out. It's still the Sabbath day. And then they plan on how they're going to kill Jesus. Crazy, right? That's what's going on 
in the first century. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's it's weird because we can mess up even the command to rest. This shouldn't be that hard, right? Think about if you were uh, had an interview with a high-powered uh, tech startup company, and these guys were just working all the time. I mean, they're after it. They're looking for the big payoff in the future, so they're eating, sleeping there the whole nine yards. And you meet with these guys, and you're, you're charged up, ready to go. You want this job, and the guy interviews you, and it seems to go pretty well, and then the guy says this. But now there's one thing, one rule that we have here. Oh, okay, well, what's the rule? You can't violate this rule. What is that? You have to take a day off. Oh, you have to stop work. You have to take a day off. You have to not come in. You can't even do work on your phone. It's a hard and fast rule at our company. You know, how would you react to that? All right, I, I think I can swing that. You know, I might be able to pull that off. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I'll do it. You know, we mess up the command to rest. That's God's gift to us. It's a gift, not a straitjacket. Second question, why rest? And, and I think, I, I can throw out statistics. I think we all get that there are all kinds of studies showing us that we're more productive when we rest. So we get that. But God made rest a part of the rhythm of life. Resting away from our work disengaging from our work. It allows us to recharge and refresh mentally, physically, and spiritually as we focus on God. That's what God wants for us. We all need to do that. Um, I'll give an example, not a day, but just part of the day. When I come home from work, so like a lot of you, I leave work and I'm on my way home And then typically you're thinking about all the things that you didn't get done at work that you're thinking about that night and what you got to do tomorrow, right? I mean, we're all kind of like that probably. You're driving home and it's all about work and what you didn't get done. But what I need to do, and I don't always do this, but sometimes I do, I realize that I need to stop, refocus, think, okay, work's over. It'll be there tomorrow, theoretically. It'll be there tomorrow. And right now, I need to focus on Pam because she's been working all day. So I need to focus. I'm going to re-engage with Pam in our home life. And I want to start, stop thinking about work. Start thinking about Pam, what's going on in her life, what she's been doing all day so we can connect. But you have to intentionally do that, right? That's the way God wants us to do on Saturday. On one day a week, we'll get to that. It's rest is a time where we reflect on the goodness of God's creation. Without rest, we break down. Rest was designed by God to relieve us of our daily labor. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So God gave us one day in seven to rest. It's a gift so that we could be refreshed. Now, there's another question that we should probably cover because already some of you are probably thinking it, and that is when to rest because you're noticing, hold it, this is all talking about Saturday, but we're here in church on Sunday. You know, what's the difference between Saturday and Sunday, and how does that play into this? Well, Christians worship on Sunday rather than Saturday, and Jewish Christians started worshiping on 
Sunday rather than Saturday because they recognized that Jesus had fulfilled completely the Sabbath law requirements. And so there's a bunch of things. We could, you know, it started with the resurrection. Uh, Jesus rose on Sunday and then, the, and then he met with his disciples later that day. Jesus then didn't meet with his disciples again until a week later on Sunday. And then the next significant thing that happened was Pentecost. And Pentecost, which was seven, the day after seven Sabbaths, you know, is 50 days, is what Pentecost means. That happened on a Sunday. The Pentecost was on Sunday. And then Luke tells us as the church started meeting, because Pentecost launched the church, after the church started meeting, the people met daily, but then they started meeting especially on Sunday. And then later, Luke's telling us how the church started, but then Paul later is writing letters to the church, and he writes to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them, hey, when you come together on Sunday, that's when you save up and, and give your gifts. And then later, 34 years after Paul wrote that, John, at the close of the first century, the last remaining disciple, he opens the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and in Revelation 1, he sees a vision that happens on a certain day, and all of a sudden now, Sunday has a name, and he tells us, hey, on the Lord's day. So we're saying, where, whether people were Jewish or Gentile, Christians then abandoned the Sabbath, they started worshiping God on Sunday, and typically making that their day of rest. We know that Christians are commanded to meet as a church, but we don't observe those Sabbath laws. And so that causes questions. Why is that? Well, here's what Paul said in a letter to the Colossians, chapter 216. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, we're no longer required to stop working on a specific day of the week, especially Saturday. We're no longer required to keep the Sabbath part of the law, the seventh day. Although it's honoring to take Sunday off and then make that your day of rest and use part of that day to be in corporate worship with other believers. That's what God wants. But working on even Sunday is not automatically a sin, is what Scripture's saying. We know that many Christians, doctors, nurses, EMTs, you know, police officers, soldiers, they have no choice but to work on Sunday, and we're grateful for that. We can rest and worship on any day of the week, but God wants us to be part of a church. So we, we, can do two, we can do both those things. Rest and worship, pick your day, but also be part of a church is what Scripture is telling us. So that's the win, you know, in case you're wondering about that. But then the last question. The last question is the most practical question, and that is, how do we rest? How do we rest? Because the way we started this is, I don't think we do this well, so how do we do it? Well, Jesus taught us that you don't rest by making a bunch of restrictive rules 
that takes a lot of effort and energy to follow in order to observe the day of rest. We don't have to do that. Rather, he's saying, hey, one day in seven, it's a principle, back to Genesis. One day in seven, as a rhythm of our life, one day in seven, we should plan to rest. For a Christian, if possible, that should be Sunday, but it's not always possible. Then if not possible, then you make it whatever your day is your day. Just make sure you're also involved somehow in a church. So, and, and I know when people hear that, well, man, Kevin, you're saying one day is completely different. Some of you might say, well, I'm a single mom. I, I can't rest for one day. I can't stop all the things I'm doing. What I'm saying is there's a principle here is that we want to change it up one day a week. We want to make things easier. We want to try to reshuffle a little bit. One day in seven, that's what God wants for us. Others will say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I run a business, and this business goes 24-7. It never shuts down. God's saying, it may never shut down, but you need to shut down. One day a week is what he's telling us. Other people will say, wow, you know, I've got, I've got things going on. I, I, some of you might say, hey, I just signed up for overtime because of the last three Sundays and what you said. <laughs> okay, I get that. But God is also telling us, work hard for six days. Rest for one day. Make it different. But still, that doesn't always ask, well, How? How do I know if I'm making it different enough? And here's the way I would like to explain that. One day a week, we stop our regular work, whatever that is. If it's duties around the house, this, that, we try to stop our regular work and disengage with that and then relax. Just relax and focus on God. That may be, maybe the word relax might be the best way to describe how to, to rest. It's do something different. Do what's relaxing to you. And that's different things for different people. Some people, I've heard it said, you know, if you work with your hands, then you relax with your mind. If you work with your mind, you relax with your hands. You know, it's just different between different people. I'll give you an example. You know, a while back, I was telling about building a loft in my barn. And so that's physical work, kind of. But I was doing that. To me, it was super relaxing. Why? Because I didn't have a deadline. I didn't have to do so many hours a day. I could just go out and piddle with that. I could do an hour. I could do three hours. It's just whatever I felt like doing. I, I wasn't in a hurry. When I'm, when I'm doing the steps and figuring out, okay, if I pour concrete in here, is that step? You know, it, uh, then I could just say, ah, forget it. I'll go grab some lunch. You know, it, it didn't matter. So that was relaxing to me. On the other hand, for the last week or so, I've been helping my son hang drywall in a building downtown, and that starts with hanging drywall on the ceiling. And not only that, he's got a deadline, and the deadline is Monday. So we've been there after work every day and yesterday working to try to... That is not fun to me. You know, you're hanging drywall and you're getting it up there and you're both trying to, you know, screw it in. And then all of a sudden one cut that you made around some fixture on the ceiling wasn't quite right. It's a quarter of an inch off. So pull it all down, recut it, stick it up there. You're in a hurry. It's got to get done. That's no fun. That's work. It's like mowing the lawn. 
You know, some people, wow, I get to mow the lawn today. I got a riding mower. It might even have a cup holder. You know, it's just great. And then other people are like, oh, I got to mow the lawn. That's, gonna, that's an hour and a half. When am I going to get that done? It's, here's what I'm telling you. Stop your regular work and then relax and do something that you enjoy. Reserve a time to focus on God, but also just enjoy yourself. Relax. We need the mental and spiritual refreshment and the physical refreshment that rest brings. And so that's it. That, that's what I'm talking about today. But there's one more thing. And I don't want to get deeply into this. But this whole idea of rest from Genesis then to the law, and then Jesus sort of undoes that part of the law that has to be restrictive because that already was fulfilled in everything he did. The reason that's true is because all of that rest actually pointed to a more significant spiritual truth. And that is this, that in the Messiah, in Jesus, we find perfect rest, spiritual rest. Think about it. Every other religion in the world is just a system of all the things you have to do to earn favor with God. And then you do that system your entire life, and then at the end, you don't even know if you've made it or not. You don't know if you've made you've pass the bar or not pass the bar, if you made God happy or didn't make God happy, and then you'd go up and be judged by God and then he'll let you know. Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Christianity is saying we, it's impossible for us to work our way to heaven. We cannot earn heaven. We cannot earn favor with God. All the good things that we should do are things that we're supposed to do so they don't really give us any credit. And because of that, none of us deserve favor from God. But God gives us rest as a gift through Jesus Christ, who comes and he's the only person on the planet who lives a perfect life, never sins. None of us can do that. And then he voluntarily allows himself to be tortured to death in order to pay the penalty of our shortcomings, of our failures, of our sin. And once he's done that, if we will just admit our failures morally and put our faith in Christ alone, through faith alone, which by the way is grace, a gift alone, if we put our faith in Christ and only in Christ, then he will come into our life, he'll forgive us, and we will receive the gift of a relationship with him which will last forever, and it's not based on our performance in any way, shape, or form. Now, once we get that gift, we have a new desire and gratitude to follow him, but our salvation is not based on that. It's a total gift. That's the greater truth that the Sabbath rest, the one-day rest in Genesis, what Jesus is talking about, that's what it's all pointing to. So, let's try not to mess this up. One day in seven, we will rest. All right, let's stand together.
Father God in heaven, we know, Lord, that you have given us a way to live our lives and that we just follow your plan that we'll be better off. We know that if we take this day of rest that you've been telling us about since creation, we know that we'll be more productive. We know that we'll be more refreshed. We'll know that we'll be able to better produce. We know that we'll be a better light to others at work. But Father, more importantly, all that points to the rest we have in you through your son, Jesus, who died for our sins, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and offers us the gift that we can rest spiritually forever. God, we thank you for that greatest gift. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, hope you guys have a great Mother's Day. Again, a reminder, there are two places to take pictures with your mom over here, over here in the atrium. And some of you don't want to do this, but your mom does. Make it happen. <laughs>